going on, fans? This is Pete from The Lasso Cast, where we talk about your favorite movies and TV shows that are in the horror genre. And uh, I have some special guests today with me. Instead of our regular Danny, who's my co-host, we have Daniel Barnett down there, who is joining us. And he is the author of the Nightmareland Chronicles. Daniel, I'm so happy to have you back on the show. How are you doing? Doing all right. Thanks for having me on again. Yes. And uh, to my... Right over here is Gage Greenwood, who is from my writer's group, and he is uh, an excellent writer as well. And he's written three books, uh, Winner's Myths and uh, Bunker Dogs, and uh, On a Clear Day, You Can See Block Island. So, Gage, welcome to LastCast for the first time. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I just happen to have a pleasure right there. <laughs> well, look at this. Jumping into the plug-in already. Perfect. And so... Um, I am happy to have these two guys here because they both know about horror, and uh, we are going to be talking about the uh, Guillermo del Toro Netflix show, Cabinet of Curiosities. So, Daniel, you just finished the whole show, right? Yeah. And um, is there a particular episode out of these first four that you really liked a lot? Um, Honestly, I really liked episodes two through four. quite a lot probably would give the uh, the nod to episode three and or four for my in terms of my favorites the first four the first one was okay too um but it's kind of sits middle of the pack for me in terms of all eight of them Mm -hmm. so um when it comes to shows like this right because this is sort of like the twilight zone or like uh tales from the crypt is is there something that you're looking for in a show like this like what makes a show like this sort of better than others that are similar to it well it depends i think um this one got some really strong source material to play with uh a lot of really like classics from the genre although ironically some of my least favorites were well anyway i I wasn't a big fan of like episode six but um because they changed the tone but that's that's another issue we're we're talking episodes one before in any case yeah yeah. uh yeah they just like you know there's a production value a director directorial value there's the extent to which the stories explore the weird and the macabre um and then there's like the kind of the ingenuity of the idea you know or the lack thereof and i think this show uh this anthology series struck a and maintained a pretty high bar of quality with just like one or two little like slips all in all um which is far better than a lot of these shows do at least of late you know yeah i completely agree um like gage are you a fan of guillermo del toro yes yeah yeah a lot like like which of his works are you you know the biggest fan of pan's labyrinth was is one of my favorite movies I, i absolutely love pan's labyrinth um, and I was, I, I think for me to answer your question on the first four, my, mine was, um, the, definitely the fourth one, the, the, the outside, was that the name of it? Yeah. <clears throat> and what I liked about that, uh, despite the fact that I, I love Del Toro, um, Devil's Backbone and, and so much of his work, um, what I liked the most about four was that, um, even though every episode had its own director, the first three felt like Del Toro works. They had that, and that probably be, because the source material is very, uh, gothic in style and you sort of you know you see that in a lot of del toro's work 
Whereas the outside kind of like tonally just completely changed and it was brighter and it was, you know, 80s and, and you know, beauty products and stuff. So it just was such a like shift that that it really kind of like shook me a little bit after watching the first three. I, I completely agree. I, I think that one of the best things about Guillermo del Toro is that he just loves so many different things and so many different genres. And it's really an eclectic group of creators yeah. that he's brought to this show. And, and Daniel, you were talking about like the, the production level and, and the quality level of like the directing. And I yeah. mean, he has some really talented people behind the cameras. Oh, yeah. Like Gage, you were saying that that fourth episode, uh, The Outside, was your favorite and that it was like totally different. And um, the director of that, um, I'm just looking up her name real quick, but she directed that movie, A Girl Walks at Home Alone, right? Or oh, At yeah. Home Alone at Night. I'm, I'm fucking up the name. What is it called? Yeah, that's that's the name. I, I haven't seen it, but um, that is the name. Yeah, like, like for example, like for that sh- the episode The Outside, right? The director's Lily Am- Amipour, and she did A Girl Works, Walks Home Alone at Night, and she did The Bad Batch, which is that movie with, like, Jason Momoa. Did you oh, guys yeah. see that one? I made about halfway through and then kind of wandered away from that one, but... Um... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I loved The Outside. I thought it was fantastic. Like, And I think one of the things that really worked with The Outside, too, was that both of the characters were really fundamentally likable and um, kind of quirky. And, of course, they do the whole, you know, tragic flaw kind of thing and you know, the pursuit of beauty over, you know, individuality and, you know, those who love you versus for who you are versus for you know who they think you should be and everything but it was just you know i mean it just it worked like on a lot of different levels it had a lot of like fun flourish like the the final the final closing shot of the outside yes <laughs> with just was i mean it was um it just had so much character the use of music the little uh, Dan Stevens cameo, continuing cameo. I mean, more than a cameo, I guess. But like, it just it, it had it had so much personality. I guess um, that's why it's definitely one of my favorites of the show. Like top three of out of all eight for sure. Yeah, I would say. Well, why don't we uh, Why don't we go through each one of the four then, just like one at a time, and just kind of talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and um, also if you guys want to bring anything. Uh, about the people behind the camera or even the actors too. I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Cause um, Daniel, you mentioned before that there was a lot of uh, great source material that they drew from yeah. to make these uh, episodes. And I'm actually not familiar with the majority of these stories. So the very first one is uh, lot 36 and um, Guillermo, Guillermo Navarro is the director mm-hmm. of that one. And he's worked with Guillermo del Toro frequently as a cinematographer, he won uh, the Academy Award for Best Cinematography for Pan's Labyrinth. And that, Gage, that was the one you said is your favorite, right? Yeah. 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 So, Gage, what did you think about this first episode, just the way it looked? So, yeah, definitely this one was the most Guillermo del Toro. In fact, I, I had to, I looked up, um, uh, what, what, it was Guillermo, what's his last name? Um, Navarro. Navarro. I looked him up because I thought halfway through, I was like, well, I know, it's supposed to be a different director every time, but maybe Guillermo del Toro directed the first episode because it was so much like him. And then I discovered that it was his own short story and that it was his frequent collaborator doing the, the camera work. Um, so, cause you could see 
Guillermo del Toro's influence all over that episode, including when the creature came at the end. It, uh, that was just such a del Toro artwork piece, you know? Yes. You know, um, it's funny because, like, yeah, that monster absolutely looked like it was from one of his movies. Like, everyone always associates him with Lovecraft, right? Because he was supposed to direct um, In the Mouth of Madness, and then he never did, right? And, like, there's such a big Lovecraft influence on Hellboy. And Hellboy was such a big... Like, he was always associated with Hellboy in those two movies, you know? Because that's, like, his babies, right? Um, but I felt like that creature at the end with all the tentacles, that was very Lovecraftian. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, by the way, spoilers, if you guys have not seen any of these episodes, we're just going to spoil the shit out of all of them. Um, it was written by Regina Carrado, and she was a... She's a TV writer. She's wrote for uh, Deadwood, and she's worked on Sons of Anarchy. I actually kind of felt like that made sense because the dialogue, I felt, was pretty harsh. What what'd you guys think? I thought... Um, so I think, like, the first episode of the first four is the weakest of the first four overall. Um, mm. It doesn't really have much teeth until the final ten minutes or so. Yeah. And it... I, I read a review that, like, I'm not sure I 100% agree with, but they characterized um, the main, like, this review's opinion said that the main character of the first episode was pointlessly racist. Mm -hmm. And I'm not quite sure I agree with that, but that I do think there is something to be said for the decision to build a story, like a 50-minute 55 minute story around a character like that you largely don't sympathize with and really mm -hmm. kind of like make that like clear to the reader like this guy's an asshole we're rooting against him and he's also kind of dumb and makes bad decisions and <laughs> um i do wonder if this story would have been better served if he had been a little bit more likable like a little bit more of a gray area there because there was the potential for that like with him having kind of been used and thrown away by you know the country and stuff like that without going so far as to say and also he's a racist and also he's like he's like a rush limbaugh guy like you know sort of thing and um i I mean, I, I think ultimately it's like, like it's like a fifth, you know, fifteen minute, like a good fifteen minutes at the end where it felt like they sort of were trying to like fill out the space to get to the end, maybe a little bit. I, I don't really know um, for sure, but you know, when you have like the recipe of like a character you don't like and no characters really surrounding that person to like, and a plot that really is just uh it's not like a slow burn or a build or a slow burn or a slow build or anything it's just a story that like once the thing happens it happens right and you're just kind of waiting for it to happen um i think that like it had a, just a couple mi ingredients missing for it to be truly memorable but like it had a great 15 like final 15 minutes you know like it, it, that's that's kind of my take <laughs> No, that, that's a strong take. I, I totally understand what you're saying. I think he had like one redeemable line, you know, that Tim, yeah. 
the, the character's name is Nick, and he's played by Tim Blake Nelson. Um, he has that line where his friend, who's African American, is kind of talking about him being racist. Yeah. And th- he says something about like uh, being on the front lines or something about soldiers. And Tim Blake Nelson says, in the army or over there, all of us were green, as opposed to like, it didn't matter what your skin color was. And I really like that moment. And he, he showed some vulnerability there, but otherwise he was a pretty big asshole. And, and you're just, yeah. just wait, basically waiting for him to get his comeuppance. Um, Gage, did you like anything about like the, the majority of the episode besides the ending? No, I like the ending. Um, and I'll, <laughs> I'll explain why. And I, I agree with Daniel uh, 100%. Um, and for me, uh, you know, you were talking about how they, uh, the, the show, um, the classic anthology shows that, that come from it and Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, all those. And then you could go back to like the comic books, uh, the horror comic books of the 50s, which, you know, a lot of those shows uh, lend from. And then even like the old Gothic uh, short stories and Poe and all and, uh, and all those people where you have those stories where there's the bad guy that you're following and you're just waiting for him to get his comeuppance. Um and that, I think you see that again in episode two. Um, but like Daniel said, I think episode two uh, does it right, whereas this yeah. one doesn't, because you you want to see this guy get his comeuppance in episode two, but you're also uh, you're more with him on it, and you're yes. you don't you don't completely despise him, and you and you're you know you can fear what he's fearing, he's, whereas he's, in this one, yeah, there's almost nothing there except for like just hating this guy. And then they, they throw in the fourth book and the demon and stuff like towards the end. And then you're like, then it's just fast paced. And from there it was, it was good. And I, um, the ending reminded me a little bit, even though it's very different um, of left to you by Daniel Volt uh, or, or Volve um, with that, the whole demon in the circle thing. Um, so that was the only thing I enjoyed about it was those little parts that reminded me of left to you. But otherwise I did not think it was a very good, good strong episode. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, just that I was going to – I agree with that point completely. The the sec, It's a good juxtaposition between the first and the second because with the second story, yeah, the guy sucks, but he's sort of like pitiable enough for you to sort of like kind of root for him. Like like he's and, – and, and also like he he's kind of getting, uh, you know – it's a comedy of like a comedy of misfortune with the second one where, you know, it's, it's not just sort of like waiting for the big, the big moment at the end. It's just like, you know, you get it's narratively more interesting because the, the plot gets juicy, you know, like 10 minutes in and, you know, even before that, it's just, it has the, it has the sense of like, well, if he's not going to be exactly 100% likable, he's going to be kind of charming and funny in sort of a slimy way. And then we're going to just kind of make his life miserable in unique, new ways with a little, like, dash of atmosphere and, you know, like, weirdness going on. It's it's a very weird fiction kind of story. And, yeah, so I had a lot of fun with the second one. Um yeah, well, that's uh, Graveyard Rats, and I'm wondering if you guys dug the second one so much because uh, the main guy uh, Mason, he's played by David Hewlett. And that, have, have any of you guys watched Stargate Atlantis by any chance? I haven't. No. Okay, that's kind of the reaction I thought I was going to get. 
but like he plays this character Rodney on there, who's like the science guy, the tech guy, right? And he's just this like over the top character, and he was a standout for that show. You know, for a show that's sort of like generic and disposable, <clears throat> he stood out. And uh, Jason Momoa was also on that show too. Like it was like when he first started out. But um, I keep mentioning Jason Momoa tonight for some reason. Yeah. But <laughs> but um, I I too liked it, but I think it was mainly because of his performance. You know, yeah. he, like his bulging eyes and his over the top. You know, just like sort of like you know his dialogue was like taken from like you know the time period is very like literative or whatever but um that episode was directed by vincenzo natale who um he directed splice and cube and i believe that uh matthew i mean i'm sorry david hewlett is from cube as well um and but i, I don't know if you guys have seen splice but i, I love that movie yeah, Splice is crazy yeah yeah so i mean there's there's practical effects in this episode too. That giant rat mother is like a big fucking puppet. Yeah. And um, then there's this like zombie that's at the end too. And I felt like the first episode and the second episode were very similar in the case of you have two characters essentially that are like possibly going to die because they need money. You know, unless they get the money they need, they're going to die. And so they go and do these extreme things and they sort of uncover these uh, like hidden treasures but the treasures also have these nasty consequences so i think that they're both yeah. very similar um but the other the second one i think it just was mostly because of his performance what else you guys got about episode two i thought it um it captured uh the claustrophobic feeling very well mm. um and 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 I, I think what what uh what daniel was saying earlier is good too where it's it is it's very uh it's comedic um, but sort of horrifying at the same time. And having the giant rat mother and the zombie uh, was just so weird and and fun um, and unexpected, but expected. Like, you knew where the story was going the whole time, but it was never, like, quite where you had landed it in your mind, unless you've read the short story, I guess, but, but I hadn't. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it, it kept me on edge um, in terms of, you know, with these anthology shows, like I was saying with the first one, it follows those tropes so perfectly that you're not surprised by any of it. But the, with this one, even though I knew where it was going, it was always just a little bit surprising. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Henry Kuttner is the author of the short story. Have, have you guys read any of his work? Or I don't, I'm not sure. Um, the standout names in terms of the stories are Pikmin's Model, Episode 5, and Dreams in the Witch House, Episode 6. Um, Lovecraft. Yeah, although they 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 bungled Dreams in the Witch House. I'm gonna go ahead and just say that right now. Um, but but that said, uh, I I have a like I, the autopsy feels familiar to me. Like I might have read the autopsy somewhere. I like it might have been one of those like classic horror fiction collections that I read ten years ago. Um, I'm not sure about this, the graveyard uh, rats one. All I know is like had the right mix of kind of like adventure and misfortune and like you, like Pete, you you talked about his performance and like that like that monologue he gives at the beginning to the guy about the rats. It's fantastic. I was sold from that moment on because I was like, this guy is just he's like magnetic, like in that kind of slimy sort of way. Like you know, it's just it was it was good fun. Yeah, I thought. 
Yeah, and you know, the supporting characters in both of these uh, episodes are good, too. Like, um, they're both um, alumni of the show Supernatural, too. Like, the character of Roland, who's the one that knows about the mythology of those books in the first episode, he's played by Sebastian Roche, or Sebastian Roche, who's, like, one of the angels from Supernatural. Right and then that. in the second episode, the guy that is the um, mortician that mm -hmm. talks to Mason... He played Death on Supernatural. And he's in that movie, nice. too. Uh, Julian Richings. He's in that movie, um, Anything for... What the fuck is that? God damn it. You know that movie that's on Shudder? It's called Anything for... Like, Anything Johnson. Or Jackson. Jackson, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I just nice. love him. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Just, like... Yeah, it, it was a winner. I mean, I think, like kind of like it, it's on the upper side of the eight for me for sure um yeah there's there's a couple real standouts but this one was just like solid entry no regrets it was a good one yeah <laughs> and you know, the ending with his with his when they open the casket and his body's just like moving. yeah <laughs> that's so great <laughs> we're like halfway through and we haven't talked about the mechanic of the show itself you know the cabinet of curiosities and um, Guillermo has a book that's called Cabinet of Curiosities, and it's essentially like a guide to his own house. Um, and his house kind of looks like this cabinet. That's the, you know, the main piece of this show. And I really like the opening credits where you kind of go through it, almost like Game of Thrones style. Yeah. Um, and then when he comes out, you know, he's like Rod Serling. He does his little introduction, and then he opens up the cabinet. But what I really, really like is that he takes that one piece that's – relevant to the story and he takes on another figurine that is like the figurine of the director of the episode and that puts a real emphasis on the director i, I really like that yeah. touch you know um with that being said for episode three this is one that's actually my favorite episode out of all four um for me there's a, a, a truly scary moment in episode three and i've been watching a lot of horror because of this channel but there was one moment in this episode that like really got me and freaked me out. Do you guys remember in the bar when the one miner goes up to the guy who has the alien inside of him and the, the guy who has the alien basically says like, you're going to come with me. You're going to throw your drink. That was really fucking scary for me. What'd you guys think? I will go, you want to go ahead? Uh, so, yeah, well, first, I just want to say, going back to what you were saying about the Guillermo del Toro intros, um, I keep accidentally calling the show the Curiosity of Cabinets. Uh, <laughs> and I've decided that I think that should be what we call like a group of cabinets in the same way there's like, you know, the, the murder of, you know, the Curiosity of Cabinets. Um, so, <laughs> the third episode uh, I loved as well. I think for me, the, the sh I've liked the show in order so far from like one to four, from least to, to, to best. Um, so, so you have a couple of, of common tropes in there. The beginning with the the, the meteorite, um, a little bit reminded me of the creep show story with the uh, the guy who takes it and starts growing, um, which had Joe Hill in it, by the way. Right. Um, and then um, and then you know you get into the the alien invasion taking over the people, uh, you know, which has been done in, in everything. Um, but it was so unique and so interesting. I did like that part in the bar where he he just mind controls the guy. Um, but that, the, the last like 15 minutes of this one was just like exceptional. And I, I've said that I like the fourth episode the best, but that last 15 minutes of episode three may have been 
my favorite part of all of them. Um, Cause it was just like this, this little cat and mouse game. You didn't know was happening almost, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. You know, I think like I, I posted on Twitter that with the first four, it was one of those, every episode was at least as good as the episode before. And I, I use those words particularly because I don't really have a clear winner between three and four. They're both just like mood dependent. Um, episode three, this the autopsy has a great turn in the middle of it. Uh, if there's, you know, it, even even that like stretch of like kind of exposition monologuing that comes from the visitor works because it's so weird and so enmeshed in the helplessness of the main character at that time and like the kind of growing cat and mouse element going on it has just like such a it's just all interesting right so it's like even if even if it's sort of expositiony it's like like you're you're sold because he's like it's a unique take on an idea and you want to know more about it and then it it has like the right the right touch of just like classic narrative strength in terms of like the way the plot wraps up uh with um you know the the hubris of the visitor and just the that you know the the, the main character having just enough wits just outsmart them in this one blind spot that they have but also having to make like an incredibly horrifying like self body mutilation sacrifice to pull it off. Like it's visually horrifying. It's, <laughs> it's awful. But then like, it's also satisfying, you know, it's just, it's like, it's just, it's really good. <laughs> it's, weird, it's good. It's just a good. Yeah. When, when, when he went with the ear, I was like, well, that's the end of that. And then yeah. nope, nope. Wasn't nope. the end of that at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, um, I think that one of the genres that scares me the most is when an alien creature inhabits someone and just essentially removes their personality and then they're just wearing their skin. And uh, I think that the actor that played the visitor, uh, I think his name is Luke Roberts. Uh, I think he did a fantastic job. You have F. Murray Abraham as the main character doing the autopsy. I, I mean, can he do it much better than F. Murray Abraham? And, you know, he, he often plays a villain and at one point, he's at his most vulnerable. He's, he's stabbed himself in the eye, stabbed himself <laughs> in the ear, right? He's just on a slab. And he has this sinister tone when the alien is inside of him, trapped with him. Yeah. And I just, I just love that so much. He has his victory, even though he's completely hobbled himself and has no power whatsoever. I love it. So yeah, that line about the plumbing is a. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The leak, just, the whole retail, uh, the real estate conversation—it yeah. was so great. It was, yeah, it was, it was solid. This one felt like I, I had, like I might have read this story at some point. I don't know, but it worked. It was just that was yeah. Part, uh, episode two and three were like so familiar to me that I feel like I might have read them at some point, but I also didn't know where they were going. So if I did read them, I don't remember it yeah. enough. Um, but once they were over, I was like, man, that, that, I feel like I've, I've heard this before. Um, the ending to the, this episode three reminded me a little bit of, um, the movie Fallen with, uh, with Denzel Washington. Have you seen that? 
Yeah. Yeah. Where Long you know he's got the demon in him at the end and he's isolated himself and he poisons himself with a cigarette and he runs outside. And <clears throat> but I was thinking the whole time this guy's like, you know, mutilating himself to to end this streak for the alien. Is he going to find that cat at the end? Or, you know, yeah. in this case, it would have been the cop coming in in time. Yeah. Yeah. I was getting worried there, too. I'm really glad that he was able to save the cop, you know? Yeah. Um, it, you know, to me, it was the scariest one. The next episode is this fun, quirky, colorful episode. Um, we've already kind of talked about how much we like it visually. Um, it's called The Outside. And it's actually based on a webcomic by Emily Carroll. And I'm not familiar with her stuff <laughs> at all. Are either of you guys familiar with her work? No. Okay. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, it was directed by uh, Lily Amrapour, like I said. Or Am Amrapour. And um, Stacy's played by Kate Micucci, who was part of a, a group called Garfunkel and Oates. I just love yeah. that title. That's freaking awesome. Uh, she yes. was on Scrubs, The Big Bang Theory, but I don't think yes. I've seen her before this. Oh, she was. On oh, really? Scrubs, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was the. Uh, I think she like dated the janitor. She was like, she did like acapella and stuff. And... Yeah, she seemed so familiar to me. I was like, I, why do I like her so much? Like, just yeah. like I like her a lot. And that that was a like. I, I gotta say, like about her performance, she did an incredible job of being quirky, but not like too quirky and then being vulnerable but not too vulnerable and then finally like as the weird supernatural stuff is happening to her she's like the right amount of disbelief but also kind of like i'm listening that was just like it she just everything felt really believable like this is how you would be if the tv started talking to you at that weird hour in the middle of the night and you're like okay, what the fuck's going on? But okay, what, I'm going to buy in a little bit, like, just because I'm curious. And, but, you know, and then eventually, like, obviously it gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse and stuff. But she really just held it together. And and I think her, you know, the, the her husband, um, there's like that touch of like Fargo-ness to it, like the Fargo kind of characters. Right. The, scene when, the scene when he gets the hammer or the knife in the head, forehead, was so sad and funny at this like i mean it was horrifying because he's like not even mad at her he's just like oh it's, i think it's pretty bad i i think i need a towel and then and then the fact that when she's hitting it with the axe and he's just like something fell on me huh? like something something fell on me and it's like it's so brutal but it's so much better than like the baseline of what that could have been in terms of like the traditional she goes crazy murders him like they still maintain so much of like personality and just in every moment in this one i yeah I, I really love this one from start to finish yeah i loved that whole that whole murder scene because um a, it, as we were like saying with the earlier ones where you're seeing like these bad guys get their come yeah. up and he like wasn't a bad guy um, but he was maybe a little bit like aloof in thinking that like his just kind words to her was going to be enough to fix what was, uh, you know, severe, um, maybe depression or, or whatever, yeah. he, you know, um, and, and he was kind of just thinking that his, his words would be the match that she needed. And I loved that, like, as the whole scene is happening, even after she stabbed him in the forehead, he's never like, 
lost trust in her and yeah. he thinks she's just gonna go get her the to get him the towel to clean up the blood and then even when she gives him that first shot in the back he's just like something fell on me yeah. it was so brilliant uh you know and even and then she's the same way too like she's murdering him but you could tell she still kind of loves him and then you know yeah. gives him the same treatment she does with all the animals yeah, Martin yeah. Starr, he's just like, he's a fun guy, you know, it, it, whether he's in like the new Spider-Man movies or when he's in Freaks and Geeks or Knocked Up. I just think he's just great, especially when he does this sort of deadpan thing that he does in this role. Um, it also had Dan Stevens, too, which I think he's like this charming guy. Yeah. He plays that infomercial guy who's always saying, hello, glow, and he, he has this weird <laughs> accent. Yeah. Um, you know... This, this episode, it, it kind of reminded me of like maybe something by John Waters or like um, like a weird kind of 80s horror comedy. That, that's the vibe that I got from this. and um, Like a serial it, mom kind of? Right, right, right. Something like that. And the end, you guys have already kind of referenced the end. But I mean, boy, does that end stand out when she's just mm -hmm. looking at the camera and she keeps making that face and smiling and... It's almost like she's going through this thought process and she's sort of horrified about what she's become, but then she's also in love with what she's become. It's so great that the last shot of this episode. It's like little glimmers of who she was coming back to the surface and then being drowned again and then coming back to the surface and then drowned and then finally just like complete assimilation into this new this new personality. Yeah, and it was I almost felt like it was it was um it, it happened so fast uh not the scene that 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 shot went but from from her like personality to personality there uh happened so fast that it was sometimes like okay she's laughing again uh okay now she's trying to like do that beautiful look oh no that's like a horrified face that's like a i'm in prison face you know like yeah. and, and back to laughing was just that that gave me shivers that was that may have been my favorite scene in all four episodes just the way that ended and it was so perfect that that was how it ended too like it was just it yeah. was haunting so good. <laughs> that was um one of a few times where i feel like they used almost like a fisheye lens in this episode mm -hmm. You know, when, when she'd be talking to the other women, like, I think we should talk about the other women in the episode as well that work with her in this bank, because when you go to make a character that's unlikable, which we've seen in the majority of these episodes, um, there's sort of this fine line as to, like, where they're believable or not believable. And Daniel, you've kind of talked about this a bit tonight already. Um, but what I thought was very interesting about those women was they kept saying they kept talking about sexual things they kept talking about like penises like flaccid penises and things like that and i think that the cliche would be that they are talking about uh money because obviously they, they seem to be obsessed with money and that you know yeah. some of them are very rich but they just kept talking about sexual things like everything was very superficial and physical and so it makes sense that like the most important thing for her was to change how she looked using this weird cream yeah well i thought i mean i thought like functionally um you build like this story is narratively built around two essentially likable characters and so there's a show of contrast and an awareness there when you're getting to these other characters plus it's a, it's kind of like satirical you know, I mean, there's that, like, really excellent line Dan Stevens has where he's like, underneath everything else, underneath, like, every hope and dream, all we really want is to be good looking. 
you know, like, you know, and like, it just, it all totally played like, like at the end of the day. So yeah, these other, these other women were kind of insufferable, but like functionally as devices for the main character's growth or regression or whatever you want to call her art, her narrative art. They were exactly what they needed to be. They were entertaining. They were colorful. They, they, you know, they, they added more to the color palette of the show and they had just enough of the, like the right touches at the end where like they couldn't stop touching her at the end. Like that, you kind of felt like they were sort of tragic characters in their own right too, almost to an extent. Like they, like they're just so vapid that like they've fallen so deep into this rabbit hole that they're not even like really like they, they kind of gave up all of their agency in the pursuit of this sort of cultism, this sort of whatever you want to call it, this click. It, it just, there's there wasn't really an element of this episode that didn't work and it was and it was in you know something to be said i think maybe if like if episode the outside edges out episode three for me again it's a mood thing is that the outside is like fundamentally interesting from like the first few moments of the show like you know it grabs you with its characters right away it kind of makes clear the stakes, the plot, all that kind of right away. The autopsy, where like whereas the autopsy is is a great show, but it's kind of like, what is this about for the first thirty minutes? Um, you know, like that mystery is fundamental, vital to that, and it works really well. But there's something to be said about an episode, like a an episode or a story that just like wears what it is on its like sleeve, like from the get go, and it's just like and then fully embraces it, you know, and just goes weirder and wilder all the way through, you know, and then sticks the landing. Yeah. 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 I got a couple things on that. Uh, going back to what you said about the, the, the sexual aspects of it is um, I feel like that um, those women were, were all about um, perceiving their own value and everyone else's value based on how sexually attractive they were. And I feel like they showed that a lot in the episode, like when they got the lotions and they're all just like rubbing. It was like so self-sexual. Um, and then, you know, she, the other girls, like, you know, not, not. And then, um, but then at the end, when she gets into the bathtub, she's like making sounds like she's having an orgasm almost. Right. And then at the end, when they do like her, they're like, like he said, rubbing on her dress and stuff in a very like sexual manner. Um so I think that 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 was a a theme throughout. Um, and then the other thing uh, going off of um, oh now I lost my train of thought. I forgot what we were saying there. <laughs> well, you definitely said sexual a lot, you know. Yes, there was but... that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. Um... Oh, oh, and then for the women, um, what I liked about them is they were so obnoxious and 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 easy to hate. But then they didn't go the route of making them the worst. You know what mm. I mean? Like they, they could have been horrible to her. Um, and they were like, but like in a friendly way, you know, like they invited yeah. her to the party. And then when she when she got the rash and stuff and was apologizing to him, they were like, oh, no, it's fine. Like they 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 were 
in their own way trying to be nice to her, but they were just horrible people. But they could have been bullies, they could have been cruel to her, you know, and they didn't go that far with the characters, which I like. Yeah, they, they, they towed that line really where, where well where nothing just nothing pointlessly veered over into like unpleasantness. Like, you know, they they're they're insincere, you know, when they're like, Oh, just you know, go home, you know, it's so cold, go home. Yeah. Like but you know they're they're kind of they're kind of pitiable in their own way too. They're sort of victims of this culture that they've given themselves to, and um, I, I mean, you know, you don't like them, but you they're not they're, they don't make the viewing unpleasant. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah. they're yeah. fun. I, I think the cliche thing would have been that they would have like ridiculed her at the party, like, yeah, like when she like took a, out yeah. the. Like a, yeah. like a carry kind of moment like it would be like a setup to like you know haze her in some way teach her a lesson in some way and no yeah they were just like okay right because like if they had gone that carry route then she would have got the lotion and almost like to spite them she yeah. would have kept yeah. putting the lotion on whereas like she wanted to be accepted by them um one of the things I also wanted to bring up too was the, the sort of the creature that was made out of the lotion, which I thought mm. that was a great visual in itself. All the bottles of lotion opening up and then yeah. like spilling out. I thought that was great. But then the creature itself was like this mud creature that eventually, you know, she bonded with and then got consumed by in the bathtub. But it really reminded me of Annihilation. You know, at the yes. end of Annihilation. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love Annihilation. I, I particularly love that end sequence when Natalie Portman is like mirrored yeah. by that creature, and I felt like that was what this was. This had as well. Yeah, that I I knew it was familiar with something, and it was like on the tip of my tongue the whole time. But it was totally Annihilation that like that weird like mirror dance scene where they're like, yeah, but yeah, totally. It's yeah. very much that. Yeah. And again, with practical effects too. Right. You know, like she really was like covered in goop walking around doing a little hip sachet kind of thing with that music in the background it wasn't like everything just felt like like you know like everybody is like it felt like they were having fun you know mm -hmm. with with all of it and you could just feel that yeah i mean uh tonight like talking about this with you guys honestly i kind of feel like your input has sort of like elevated the Lasser cast a bit. I think you guys have made some really excellent points. Daniel, you made some really excellent points the last time you were on when we talked about Hellraiser, the reboot, and also Halloween Ends. Um, I was thinking because like, you know, we usually do this for about an hour. Um, Daniel, you didn't really get a chance to, to plug your work last time. Could yeah. you kind of tell our viewers about Nightmare, the Nightmare Land Chronicles and just kind of where they can find your stuff? Sure, yeah. Um... Nightmareland Chronicles is an ongoing adventure for serialized epic uh, following one man's journey to reach his estranged daughter in a world claimed by Eternal Night. It is uh, currently six volumes long of varying lengths, but you get um, kind of the first half essentially is done, like the first really big arc. Like there's a lot of story there. Um, that's out that's good stopping point before the next well let me put it this way um my agent coined this term uh carmen wells she's she's lovely uh we have like the first season so to speak 
um, in book form anyway, uh, out and season two, you know, I'm, I'm working on, but, uh, yeah, that's been the thing that's consumed me for the last five years or so. I've got some standalones otherwise, but, um, my world is very much the Nightmareland Chronicles right now. So <laughs> it will be for a while. Yeah. And then if people are looking for you on Twitter or uh, social media in general, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, Twitter, my handle is DBH fiction. Um, so my initials plus H for horror fiction and, uh, you know, I'm on Goodreads on Instagram sometimes. Um, but Twitter is kind of the main, the mainstay for me. Yeah. <laughs> Ditto. Um, you know, it's interesting that you said it's like the first season of your arc because Gage, when I was talking about your work before, I said you had multiple books, but you know, Gage, uh, his work has come out in the Kindle Vela, you know, and so oh, your, nice. your main book is Winter's Myths, but then yes. everything is a Kindle Vela story though, right? Yeah, so I, I publish everything uh, first on Kindle Vela um, in a serial format, and then I transfer it to book form when I complete each. Um, I, I also use the term seasons. Um, so like the book that, The Winter's Myths, that's out now is season one. Um, season two is on its way out. It's in the editing process right now. Um, and then, yeah, and then uh, Bunker Dogs and On a Clear Day are both standalones, but they're I just published them serially first. But Winter's Myths is going to be my long, my long running one. Uh, maybe, maybe one day I'll catch up to Daniel. But that's a long way away. <laughs> <laughs> I What's want to read that. That sounds amazing. I want to. I oh, cheers! Thank you. Know, honestly, as soon as I get out of here, I'm probably going to go buy the first book. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. You want to tell them what Winter's Myths is about? Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, so Winter's Myths is um, kind of a genre bending story of a father and his two daughters who were they were raised underground by survivalists. Uh, they've never stepped foot on the surface of Earth until they have to. Um, and when they do, they find out that Earth is largely abandoned. Um, so as he tries to make his way through a largely abandoned Earth and keep his daughters alive, he just makes up these mythologies about us because like, he doesn't know what a car is. He'd never seen the sun before. Uh, he finds a DVD box set of Kevin Bacon and um, assumes that that guy must be a demigod. So he tells these crazy weird fairy tales and myths to his daughters to make sense of our world. It's basically like the Greek mythology of us. Um, and then it, that parallels those kind of wacky stories with his dark and harrowing and bleak journey um, where they find out they're not as alone as they thought they were on Earth. Nice. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, gentlemen, um, probably the main reason why I have this channel is just to get a chance to talk to writers that I admire and just think are cool and, you know, Gage, you're in my writers group, and Daniel, I always see you on Twitter and stuff too. So, my, my goal is to ultimately interview both of you individually about your works at some point. But um, if you guys want to come back, I'm sure Danny would be happy to talk about episodes five through eight if you're interested too for Cabinet of Curiosities. Yeah, I would love that. Awesome, yeah. man. Thank yeah, you so much. I'm, I'll be here if I can. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. And uh, I guess we'll see you next time then. All right. Yeah, it was nice meeting you, Daniel. Yeah, nice.